Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm actually considering, I'm talking to someone about writing a book on this exact topic about um, the green grass. You know, the concept of the grass is always greener somewhere else. And that's not actually true. So... For some people, if you uh, are feeling pretty stagnant and you don't feel like you're, you feel like you could really be creating more in life and really be maybe doing some personal growth, maybe making a difference in the world, then okay, you want to go looking for some greener grass. Let's just start a little exploration and, and play a game called Let's Go Over There. But if you find that your life has been a lot about creating and going for things and changing things, you might want to practice a little bit of appreciation and gratitude and start looking at and appreciating the grass you're on because I don't want you to be constantly feeling unfulfilled. And Byron Katie said this really, really well. Um, we were talking to her about the, the I did a month with her and we were talking to her about the secret and she couldn't really remember what it was about. I said, it's about uh, getting what you want, about manifesting, getting what you want. And she went, oh, well, this work is about wanting what you have. So why don't we say that both of these strategies are very powerful strategies for having a great life, appreciating what you have and for creating more. And you get to choose either one. How great is that? You can choose either one or both. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. David, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Sereni. I'm excited. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I was introduced to you by way of a former guest from our podcast, Yannick Silver, who told me a little bit about what you're up to. And uh, given that you were referred by Yannick, that kind of just made it an instant yes, because I know uh, the types of people that he tends to surround himself with. Right. Uh, before we get into all of that, um, I want to start by asking you, what it was one of the most important lessons that one or both of your parents taught you growing up that has had an impact on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Mm. You know, I didn't realize this until uh, quite a way into my life. Maybe I was 30 or 40 because I always thought that my parents didn't really teach me very much. That was my, my assumption. But looking back, I realized that they have integrity. <laughs> 
just simple integrity. My dad could never imagine ripping someone off or being dishonest with someone. And so I learned, I think, by osmosis. They never, never just really said it outright, but I learned by osmosis. I think I got my base of integrity. And then later on, I went and did landmark education and I, and I discovered a whole new level of authenticity, honesty, and integrity. And my life became, it really became a way of life. But I didn't realize until you just asked me that question that my parents are what gave me the base to just simply be honest. Mm. What about from your mother's side? Um, you mentioned your father, but uh, did that also come from your mother? And why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that that was part of the environment that you were brought up in? Well, let me take those in order. So, my mother, um, my mom's super, super smart. She was a, a teacher. And I think perhaps something that she gave me is she, she rode me pretty hard in school. And I, it really bugged me. I'm like, get off my back. I can do it. I'll be fine. And then uh, when I did come top of my school, I said, see, I told you all the time I had it handled. And she said, see, it's because I rode you because I made you do it, which pissed me off because I wanted credit for the mm-hmm. whole thing. So I think she, she, um, she might have been part of the drive that had me really have to knuckle down and get stuff done. And then when I did become, um, go to university, I, I took the hardest course I could find, which was actuarial studies. And I took it even further. I had to really learn how to handle massively complex stuff and how to, how to get some really hard things done. So now in my business life, uh, I think that served me really well. And your second question was how, like, why do I think that came about or why was it like that? I have, I have no explanation for why my parents just lived with a natural sense of integrity other than um, my grandparents seemed mm-hmm. to be like that as well. So I imagine that was passed down. Oh, and my mom would have ridden me because she was a school teacher. So she, I think she understood the importance of doing really well in school and she's seen countless kids yeah. go through. And so she was like, my kid's going to really rock this out. Uh, how did that uh, integrity play out in, in day-to-day life? And I, I you know, also as, as a former alum of Landmark Forum, I want to actually do a deep dive into this uh, whole idea of what integrity actually means. And, you know, what are the, the definitions that we have as a society of integrity? Like, how did it play out in small ways in your daily life? And then let's talk about it in a broader context. Yeah. Well, what a, what a rich question. You know, early on in my life, uh, I'm going to do a big reveal here. Um, I think I was about, maybe I was about 18, 19 when I got my first, uh, first girlfriend. And, uh, I think maybe we were a few months into this relationship and I got drunk at a party and cheated on my girlfriend. And, uh, at the time, I mean, I was just drunk and having a great time and it seemed like the right thing to do. But in the morning when I woke up, I was horrified. Like if I could go back in time and change anything, that probably would have been what I would have picked. And, uh, 
I don't think it was even a question of whether or not I told her. I couldn't imagine living with someone or being close to someone and having a massive withhold like that. And this was pre-landmark. So I'm just talking about when I look back and think, was I practicing any kind of integrity or authenticity back then? Yes, some in that I confessed to her and um, traveled six months. It's not six months, traveled um, six hours on a train dressed in a tuxedo carrying a dozen roses to go up to her house and and uh, where she was staying with her parents and apologized and asked her to forgive me. And that experience stuck with me so much so that uh, over the past 30 years, I can't think of one promise I've broken around fidelity with, a, with any kind of a partner. I'm, I'm saying not even a kiss. And I have been tested and tempted to the extent of having a naked woman on my bed, someone that I'd been drawn to for years, begging me to have sex with her. And my resolve was iron. There was no way I was going to break a deal like that again. And then enter Landmark Education. So Landmark showed me a a new level. I watched a speaker get up on stage, one of the Landmark Forum leaders, and I'd watch him confess something. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was that he was terrified of people and he was terrified of speaking and he did it anyway. And it didn't make me think less of him. It made me think more of him. And I thought, I, I want that. I want to be able to get up in front of a bunch of people and be me, even if I think that might have them walk out of the room. And that inspires me. And uh, as I went further into Landmark, I found all the different areas of my life where I was withholding and I wasn't being authentic. For example, uh, neediness. You know, I I was raised thinking that you don't want to be needy because no one's going to want to be your friend. So, but I couldn't, I couldn't uh, alter the fact that at times I am needy. I am like feeling like I really need approval or I nearly really need some comforting or I really need validation. So I just stuffed it down and buried it and pretended like everybody else. And when I learned the words, hey, I'm feeling really needy right now. Can you help? Are you available to help? Or no? That gave me this massive freedom. So that's just an example of what I discovered at Landmark. And I've spent the last 20, 23 years since Landmark practicing more and more authenticity, more and more truth. And when that happens, you really are going to take a risk. Because it's possible when you confess something to your partner, your partner might get really angry and punish you. Your partner might leave you. Your uh, boss might fire you. You, If we take it to the extreme, if you confess to a crime, which which I I have done in the past, um, you could go to prison. So there are huge risks when we... And and I'll get to a definition, I think, of integrity. But when we practice our own version of integrity and we speak our own truth, we really could lose a lot. But on the flip side, I believe that we can attract the right 
people and opportunities to us. And the people and opportunities that, that aren't meant for us will leave us when we speak our truth. Mm. Did uh, the first girl, did she leave you? No, she didn't. In fact, we ended up getting married. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've got, there, there are people, I think mainstream people, the way we normally live, and I totally understand this, and I think it's a valid way of living. I'm not saying it's wrong. The way we normally live is we have withholds. We have withholds from everybody. We have withholds from ourselves. We don't even realize um, some, of, some of our own truth, and that's fine. Um, but one thing that I have had, and I don't consider myself a relationship expert. I consider myself self a communications expert. But one thing I've had in all my relationships is my partner has trusted me 100%. And again, I, <laughs> I kind of can't believe I'm going to do this reveal, but I, get, I believe in truth and authenticity, so I'm going to go there. I once had a, a girlfriend, and she found a pair of panties in my cupboard. And I was, I was really surprised. I had no idea, honestly, how they could be there. I hadn't broken any agreements with her. And I even said to her, she's like, what's this about? And I said, I honestly don't know. I said, I've had one woman in here and we did make out because I had an agreement with my girlfriend at the time that I could kiss uh, other women. I just couldn't do anything else. I said, she was in here and we made out, but her pants stayed on the whole time. I really can't imagine how those panties got there. And she went, all right, that was the end of it. No suspicion even. And her friend said to her, how can you possibly trust that lying piece of shit? And she said, believe me, I know he's telling the truth. If there was anything to tell me, no matter how hurtful or painful, he would tell me because he's done it before. So one of the beauties of, of this way of living, of, of sharing withholds and taking a risk and taking a risk is you can have absolute trust. Now, I, it's possible that some of my partners have lied to me and never come clean. I'd be surprised because I think when you live this way, the people around you tend to want to step up and live this way too. They might say, well, since you told me that and you confess that, I feel like I want to share something with you. Two, and then you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And we haven't talked about this yet, but what I believe we're all after, I know I am, and, and most of my clients are, is we really want deeper connection. We not, may not spend a lot of our time facilitating it, but at the end of the day, sure, we want more money. We want more business success. We want more power and prestige. But if we don't deepen our connections with our partner, with our kids, with our friends, uh, with ourself, then I think we're leaving a lot of juice. Um, I'm, mi I'm mixing metaphors now. A lot of juice on the table. So you asked me about the in in integrity and, and what's a definition. I think integrity, a great working definition, is you doing what feels right to you. Now, um, if you feel good and solid at cheating on your taxes or let's say going into the gray zone on your taxes, then okay, 
that's integrity for you. If you feel okay lying to people you don't like or to big, big business, I say that's okay. That's integrity for you. You have to work it out. Now, my integrity is not squeaky clean on, on an objective basis because, you know, I will push the edges on some things. But someone wrote to me last week and said, thank you for your article submission to our aviation magazine. We'd like to go ahead with it. Can you give me your bank details so I can pay you for the submission? And I tell you what, I was so tempted to send her the bank details and let her pay me. But I wrote back and said, you already paid me and you already published it, doofus. So I'll take the money a second time. But I would rather live like that. So I think my, my integrity on an objective sense is, is higher than most of the population, but there's still areas where I can, where I can, I can up it and I could tell even more of the truth. So you work out for you, what's your version? Um, and here's another way of, of working out if you, if you have personal integrity, are you speaking your truth? If you're not speaking your truth to someone, say someone's annoying you and you don't say it, then I suggest that you may find yourself out of integrity and you'll feel smaller, you'll feel off, you'll feel uh, less connected to that person. And when you do speak your truth and you're self-expressed, now I would say your integrity points go up. What do you do in those situations where you do speak your truth, but you know it's going to hurt the other person and it doesn't end up great? You know, one of the reasons this is is on my mind is, you know, I was in India having dinner with a friend and she had asked me, what do you think the most important thing you've learned about relationships is from dating coaches, therapists, and all the people you've interviewed? And I hadn't thought about it until, I, you know, she had brought it up with me. I said, you know what? I was like, I didn't have clear boundaries. And she and I were talking about the fact that the first time that you express boundaries to somebody and they don't react well, you're just like, shit, now what? Yeah. Um, so I wonder, you know, when you have the, the you know, gall to, to say the truth, especially, you know, with somebody that you ended up marrying, uh, is it just smooth sailing for that? Like what happens when that reaction is, like you said, people are willing to walk out of a room. I've seen people walk out of the room at the Landmark Forum. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A um, couple of things come to mind. Firstly, if, 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 if you decide to walk this path, you decide, all right, I'm going to up my level of integrity, self-expression. I'm going to start telling the truth more. I'm going to take more risks with my, with my truth. You are going to screw it up. <laughs> that's, that is going to happen. You're going to be messy, and that's okay. I've coached countless people on setting boundaries um, here's an example. I've got a client now whose partner, uh, tends to get triggered and yell at him and blame and shame him. And so he wants to set a boundary. Um, it's not okay to talk to me like that. And the, uh, the, the gentle version of it is usually a gentle and a firm version. The gentle version of it would be something like, um, Hey, would you be willing to speak kinder to me? right now. I get that you're upset and angry and it's hard for me to hear you. Uh, I'm feeling threatened. Would you, would you speak kinder to me right now? Could we take some deep breaths and calm down? Something like that. And if it keeps going, then you need the firmer version. If you keep doing this, I'm going to need to leave the room. 
we can connect again after an hour, but I'm going to need to leave the room if you keep doing this. Now, you notice the way I did it, right? the way I said that is, mm-hmm. is uh, without charge and very gentle and like that. You're not going to do that the first time. No. It, it's not going to go that smoothly. So firstly, you want your, your gentle version, your firm version, but be willing to screw it up. You're going to say, hey, stop yelling at me. That's not okay to yell at me. It's going to be something like that. Yeah. Or, or this is what he said, and I witnessed it. I was there. He said, um, I'm, I'm sick and tired of you yelling at me. That's not okay. So now he's blaming her, right? So right. be willing to screw it. And boy, did she come down on him like a ton of bricks. <laughs> Went on for an hour about how he was communicating the wrong way and that was so bumpy and blah, 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 blah. And he, you know, shut him down for a while. He's going to have to get back on the horse and practice again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, you know, I, ironically, what happened is he folded, whereas he could have said, he could have just stuck to his guns. If you keep doing this, I'm going to need to leave the room. Now, eventually, she'll, she'll probably work it out. If I keep yelling at this guy, he's going to go and I can't yell at anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. So I may as well stop now. But he needs to be willing to stick through that and handle her. Um, when you first start training people in boundaries, they, as you said, they may walk out of the room or they may um, get really pissed. So you've got to be willing to stick with them, um, not physically. You don't have to stay in the room with them, but kind of stick with them until they get through it, until they get that you're not against them. You're really just doing some self-care. And ultimately, if you're with someone who's not interested in you taking care of yourself, well, you got a bigger problem. Yeah, that's what. Well, that's what they're going to ask you. You know, you're talking about leaving the room, and my thought is, okay, is there a point at where it makes sense to just leave altogether? Yeah, well, I wouldn't do that initially. Once you know, yeah. once you start becoming more of a leader in your in your own life and enrolling people and setting boundaries and how you need to be treated, um. I think give them some, uh, give them some time to come around. You create a space for them to step into basically mm-hmm. and give them every chance to do that. And then if that's not working, you can, you can leave the house. Like say the person's following you around the house and they're like, no, we're going to talk about this now and you're going to, you know, handle this. Well then, yeah, I might leave the house, go and stay at a friend's house for a while. Um, but ultimately if a person's not on board with, you taking care of yourself and say someone says, no, I need to be able to yell at my partner and you need to be able to take it. And I'm not willing to shift on that. Well, I would probably leave Mm -hmm. because that's not how I want to live. That's my integrity. You know, part of my integrity is, is, uh, is self care. You mentioned, uh, this idea of being a leader in your own life. What do you mean by that? And, you know, how do you apply that to your life and how do other people apply it to theirs? Mm, this, is, this is something I only started saying yesterday. Um, I was coaching, coaching someone and I, I talk about playing for real. I think, I think life is the greatest game there is. And I hold the viewpoint that we're playing a game. And not everybody holds that viewpoint and that's fine. But if you're going to play the game of life, Let's say it is a game and you're playing it. Let's play for real. Like let's play as if it really matters and we're still having a game. We're still in flow state and we're trying not to be attached to the outcome, but we're really playing like it matters so we can 
die with zero regrets. And something that came up in a session yesterday with a client, as I said, you've slipped out of leadership in your own life. She's like, what do you mean? I said, you're not creating your life. You're reacting to it and you're wishing. You're wishing for um, a romantic partnership that's in the same city as you. Because her partner lives somewhere else. But you're not creating it. You're wishing for a village of people to help you raise your son. But you're not creating it. You're wishing for doubled income. But you're not taking the steps that are likely to lead to that. And what we distinguished is that, to use a landmark word, what we distinguished was she, she was resigned. She was resigned. She'd had a lot happen. She's, she's being a, a single mother. And she'd gotten resigned and felt defeated. And I said, that's okay. You don't have to change that in this moment or ever. But let's just be honest about it. You're feeling defeated and resigned and you slipped out of a leadership role in your own life. You're not creating your life the way you want to have it. You're not playing for real. And she really loved that distinction. And we'll see what happens with her. Uh, I don't expect, I think awareness is, is its own reward often. I don't need the, to fix her or change her to have her instantly step into leadership, but let's just be honest about it. And is that how you want your life to continue? Or would you like to find some fun ways that you can up your game and start creating your life the way you really want to have it? And I call that leadership. And leadership, this is, I love the, the whole uh, concept of inside-out leadership. I think leadership starts from the inside out. and to lead others, you really want to first lead yourself. So I think that you, you brought up something very interesting. You mentioned, you know, playing like it matters, but also being detached from outcomes. How do those two things coexist? Because I think that's, that's an incredibly challenging thing. You know, you want what you want. And at the same time, like we all know that somehow you always seem to get what you want when you no longer need it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is so important this question because i think this is the reason why a lot of people don't go for what they really want is because um landmark has a great distinction commitment versus attachment mm. and i think what's happened is we've collapsed these now i'll tell you the question that i asked this client yesterday i said when you're playing a game do you usually enjoy the game like you actually enjoy playing it whether or not you win <clears throat> she thought about it and she said, yeah, I do. So if you lose the game, you could still enjoy the game, maybe up to the point where you actually lose, but you're actually enjoying that. And she said, yeah. I said, great. So could you apply that to your life? Could you enjoy the game of creating a partnership in the same city, the game of doubling your income, and the game of creating a village of people to help you raise your child? regardless of the outcome or are you going to get attached to the results and decide that the win is only if you get those results and you will not win from playing a good game and i think it really started to sink in so when we think of a goal let's say doubling income usually what we think of this is if i'm committed to that 
if I'm going to show up every day taking the actions that someone would take who's committed to doubling their income, we kind of slip into this zone of attachment where I have to have those results. If I don't, I'm a failure. If I don't, life is bad. So maybe I won't commit to that. I'll just kind of do a few actions so that it doesn't really work out. I'm not really that invested. But Landmark uh, created this distinction of commitment versus attachment and showed me, and I've been showing people for I think 20 years now, you can be absolutely committed to something that, that may not even be totally possible. You may be committed to world peace. And it's not really your business if it happens or not. Which brings us into another really fun concept about what's your business? What can mm-hmm. you control? I can control my actions. I can control <clears throat> reaching out to Yannick and saying, hey, Srini's got this great podcast. Can you make an introduction? I can control that because I'm committed to getting my message out there. I can't control if Yannick says, yeah, I'll make the intro. I can't control if you say yes or no. That's mm-hmm. not my business. My business is what am I committed to and how am I showing up in the world? And then this was a, a really great insight I had last July. The results are an absolute bonus. I want to show up committed because I feel passionate when I do that. I feel self-expressed. That's my integrity to go for the things that matter for me. If I get the results, that's a beautiful bonus, which I really do love. And sometimes I get a little attached. But the real win is you living the way that's right for you and taking the actions that matter for you. That's what I want for the world. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So, um, you know, so I, I it's interesting because I have uh, interesting opinions on the whole landmark experience. And I want to ask you this particularly because you've referenced it so many times. Uh, and I've brought this up on the show before, but I don't think I've had anybody here who's so um, deeply, you know, uh, like experienced with landmark. So one of the things that uh, I heard Dan Kennedy mentioned this in a seminar, he said he was sitting next to Warner Earhart uh, in a barbershop. He some of the whole est thing. This was before it was called landmark in, in one sentence. And he said, we sell independence, but we breed dependence. And I never forgot that because. If you think about it, we've built a multi-billion dollar self-help industry on one fundamental premise, that there's something wrong with you and somebody else has the answer or the solution to what it is that's wrong with you. And what I saw were two types of people who go into this uh, at Landmark, people like you who take those concepts and they go out and they do things with what they've learned. And then people who basically just keep coming back weekend after weekend after weekend. And it's just you know yet another thing that they're doing. Why do you think that is, and how do you break that cycle? Mm. I think what you're talking about is the get well industry. Um, I think almost all marketing is based on get well. It says at its core, there's something wrong with you, and if you buy this product, we'll fix it. And that sells. And I, I, I don't find anything wrong with that i don't think even the industry is unwell and needs fixing i think that's one way to to operate all right i I want to improve myself i I can see these flaws and i want to i want to get better if that's a positive motivation for you fine and this i ironically i think this is what drives most search for enlightenment the ego is like well over there is better than over here and if I get to enlightenment, then, then life will be better. And then what they say, I'm not saying that I'm enlightened, but the teachers seem to say once you get there, you realize it was kind of pointless. The whole search that there really was nowhere to get to, you were absolutely perfectly perfect, exactly as you are. There is no fixing. There is nowhere to get to. So I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the of the get well you're broken kind of thing. I don't hold that viewpoint. I don't think it's the most powerful. I don't think it generates the most 
productive change. I'm more interested in a tweak to that, which is you are playing a game. And the very nature of a game says over there is better than over here. That's how you have a game. <laughs> it's kind of hard to have one without any sense that you know, you're trying to get somewhere. So what I would rather people take on is the approach that you are playing a game and you want to play for real, you want to take it um, seriously enough that you're, you're really going for it, but it's not to fix anything. Nothing's broken. You're playing a game that doubling my income is better than having the current income. Having more people to help me raise my son is better than just me. Having my partner in the same city is better than my partner being over there. So let's, let's play for that and let's enjoy that. Does that address your question? It does. Uh, so that being said, uh, you know, you said, yes, by definition in a game over there is better than over here. And at the same time, you said that nothing is, is wrong. We're not trying to fix anything. Right. How do you, how do you, this is going to probably open up a rabbit hole, but that's, that's, you know, you should be used to that. We've after 30 minutes of chatting with me. Um, so, you, you know, if over there is, you know, better than over here, how do we remain satisfied with the lives that we have today? How do we remain fulfilled if we constantly keep looking on this horizon? Right, right. That's really great. So I guess I think we're talking about the dark side of the force here. Mm. So I went to Landmark, and when I went there, I said, I'm doing one course, and that's it. I refuse to be a self-help junkie. Well, those were famous last words. I am a self-help junkie. I found it so good that I, I wanted more of it. I mean, I stopped doing Landmark. I haven't done it for maybe 10 or 15 years, but I found other, other forms. Um, I love this question. I'm kind of exploring it. So I want, I want if, if you love your life right now and you don't really see a lot of room to up your game, if you really have deep connections, you're totally taking care of your body, you're nurturing your relationships and your business, you've got great growth in your business, you know your legacy and your vision. If, if you look at all the different points and like, I just can't really see how this could be improved, then you may not have a game right now and that might be super fulfilling. Or you might be like, I kind of want to create a game because that's, that's, I really enjoy playing. So I think I'll always want to have some kind of a game that I could enjoy. But if you start slipping over into the dark side and you, you find that you're constantly trying to change, you're constantly trying to change from a point of view that you're wrong. If the game isn't fun for you, if that isn't just adding on to your life, but you're actually trying to fix you being wrong, you may find that you're never going to fix that that there are some core beliefs that are always going to have you feel wrong. And I just don't think that's going to be a lot of fun for you. So I don't think that directly answered, answered your question, but now I think I, I might be about to. Um, I think we want to practice both. We want to um, – I'm actually considering – I'm talking to someone about writing a book on this exact topic about um, the green grass you know, the concept of the grass is always greener mm -hmm. somewhere else. And that's not actually true. So for some people, if you are feeling pretty stagnant and you don't feel like you're 
you feel like you could really be creating more in life and really be maybe doing some personal growth, maybe making a difference in the world, then okay, you want to go looking for some greener grass. Let's just start a little exploration and, and play a game called let's go over there. But if you find that your life has been a lot about creating and going for things and changing things, you might want to practice a little bit of appreciation and gratitude and start looking at and appreciating the grass you're on because I don't want you to be constantly feeling unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. And Byron Katie said this really, really well. Um, we were talking to her about the, the – I did a month with her and we were talking to her about the secret and she couldn't really remember what it was about. I said it's about uh, getting what you want, about manifesting, getting what you want. And she went, oh, well, this work is about wanting what you have. Mm. So why don't we say that both of these strategies are very powerful strategies for having a great life, appreciating what you have and for creating more. And you get to choose either one. How great is that? You can choose either one or both. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the reason that question is fresh on my mind is um, it just came back from, you know, a treat with my friend, Philip Kernan, who's been uh, a guest here multiple times on the show. And I've been thinking about this because I, I've, you know, finished uh, putting touches on this new book called The Scenic Route, What I've Learned from a Life That Hasn't Turned Out the Way I Thought It Would. And what struck me most as I was reflecting on this was that we have this gap between who we are and who we want to be. And then I realized Unless you just wake up one day and you decide that, yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to do another thing for the rest of my life. That gap is always going to be there. Like it's eternal. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I suspect that's what the ego's job is. It's like, let's create a gap and let's keep, keep moving forward. That's the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, you know, another, another frame for this, you know, we've come up with a, with a few different ways of looking at this same question, but another frame, Dan Kennedy says it really well. Um, he says, he talks about the gap as you look forward, the gap is between where you are and where you want to be. And he said, if you never turn around, you'll never be present to the gain. So you have to practice both. Yeah, have a gap. That's great. But every now and then you've got to turn around and look behind you and you've got to appreciate the gain or you'll constantly be feeling like you never did anything. Mm. Well, let's do this. Walk me through how you go from you know college to ending up in this work because I think the thing that uh, is common to literally everybody I've interviewed is that their paths are almost never straight and narrow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it wasn't like I, you know, at the age of seven, I said I want to be a, a a coach for people's life and business. That 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 was never there. So I started life as a consulting actuary. I, I was uh, really good at math. That was my, my best subject in school. And when we did the research, it seemed that if you wanted to, I, I thought accountancy was what I would do because what else are you going to do? Math, I just, that was the plan. And then someone told my mother about actuarial studies and it turned out that it was, it seemed to be way harder than, um, accountancy and the pay was higher and as we did more research we found out that they were actually handing out scholarships 
like such was the demand for people who could pass these exams and become an actuary. They were paying people to go to university and it was unbonded, meaning that I could, if I got a scholarship, I could go to university, be paid every year and then still not work for the company. I could just walk away. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that sounds like a good deal. So I went and did it and it was a very painful uh, experience, not so much university, but after you do three years of university, you had to study on average, on average, I think it took about eight to 10 years uh, for people to qualify. And uh, I managed to do it in four, but I'd, I'd finally found some exams that I could fail at. And it was brutal to qualify, but finally, I, I, you know, I'd pass one, fail one, pass one, fail one, pass one, fail one. And finally, when I got through it, I'm, I'm in New York. I'm consulting to Sony Music, Exxon, Procter & Gamble, Ford. Um, pretty, pretty cushy job. I had an office, and the, the future looked really rosy. But then I went and did uh, landmark, the Landmark Forum with Landmark Education, and they cracked my cynicism. They cracked my cynicism, and I because I, I just – my, my parent, my mother was very, I think she's quite cynical. And I just couldn't believe that people honestly cared about others and that they would devote their life to having other people's lives be better. I just figured they would, you know, they've got to be out for my money. That's why they're selling these self-help help courses. But they cracked me open. And I was like, oh, my God, there's this whole world of feeling. Um, because I didn't grow up feeling very much. I had a traumatic incident when I was seven. When I was seven, my five-year-old sister was killed by the school bus um, when we came home from, from school one day. And, I mean, at the time, it was just this incredibly exciting event. And uh, I had a sister that morning, and I didn't have a sister that evening. And... Apparently what happened is I just shut down everything emotionally. I didn't know that. I just grew up normally as far as I, I understood. But then I started having issues at the age of, uh, I don't know, maybe like 20 when I started dating my partner and then getting married, like all these things. I was having all these problems. I actually broke up with her eight times. And I finally went to a psychiatrist and I said, is there any help for me? What? the hell's going on? And he said, I don't think you ever grieved properly for your sister. And I think you are very sensitive, but, and that's why you're having trouble now, but you've learned to squish it down and not feel anything. And I think I can help you. And that was, was perhaps one of the best days of my life. Mm. When he said, I think you have a reason for this and I think I can help you. And I think, you know, I can't guarantee what'll happen with, with um, this woman, because at this stage, she was she was with someone else. I was like, I want to get back with her, and she's with somebody else. And I knew I couldn't I couldn't go back to her without some kind of you know certification from a doctor to say this is why it happened, and I think we can change it. And she gave me another chance. She came and sat down with that that uh, psychiatrist, and she went, yeah. He's always seemed like a cardboard cutout, and I just didn't really understand it, but now I do. And we did end up getting married. We're not married now, but last year I just stopped and visited her and her husband, and I stayed a few days with them and their six-year-old boy, 
and I feel like an uncle. Mm. So I, I embarked on this, this journey of how do I recover, reclaim feeling? How do I, when people say, be in your body, that would piss me off. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I really didn't know what that meant. And now I think I do. So I, when I found Landmark, it was like, oh my God, there's a whole world out there. I, did, I developed this intellectual stream of energy. I developed, I became top of my school. That was how I coped. I just became, uh, I really think I developed uh, an intellectual intelligence, but at the expense of emotional intelligence. I've spent the last 20 years reactivating my right brain and my limbic system so that now I have that actuarial mindset where I can talk about someone's business and we can talk about making things happen in time and space, but I've developed the emotional capacity that I can sit there while someone just sobs their heart out and I can be with them, Hmm. which I'm very excited about because um, I know I'm jumping ahead of the story, but it allows me to actually coach the whole person. There are thousands of good business coaches out there, and there are thousands of great personal coaches uh, and, and therapists um, out there. There aren't that many that I think can actually look at the whole picture and coach the whole person, including those two things. Now, once uh, I discovered Landmark and I discovered uh, coaching, I still wasn't sold on it as a career. I, was, I had this great job in New York, but I decided to move back to Australia because I thought I had more friends in Australia and I wanted to feel more connected and I was getting divorced. And I quit my job with integrity, went back to Australia. And I, every time you quit a job, I think you should really look at if I took a break now, what would I do with it? because it's hard to get six months, 12 months leave from an employer. So I was like, maybe I should do something else before I start up the actuarial business again. I still wasn't going to, wasn't going to completely leave that. The money was too good. And I'd always wanted to be a one man band, like an entertainer that would go to the ski resorts and play uh, piano man and have everyone singing along. And uh, so I, I, I actually went back, bought, the equipment, got some lessons, went and got a singing lesson the first week and had my, my first gig booked for the second week. They paid me 50 bucks to play at some squash courts that had a bar in the corner. And so I started actually taking six months to do this thing that I'd always wanted to do. And I would wear a blonde ABBA wig and sing SOS from ABBA. I'd wear an Afro and I'd sing Blame It on the Boogie. I'd put a kilt on and sing 500 miles. So I did that as a self-expression because I just always wanted to do it. And then sometime in there, um, I found time to register for a, a coach training program because I'd never forgotten what it felt like to coach someone in the landmark self-expression and leadership program. Uh, actually, it was the advanced course, the second course. I coached someone I couldn't stop myself. There's people got stuck in the course. I'm helping them. Uh, and changed her life. She, she confessed. She went and confessed something to her partner that she'd been withholding for 10 years about her having an affair. 
and she went and confessed it to him. And she said for the whole weekend, they felt like they were walking on the air six feet above the ground at the love and the, and the connection that they now had. And I, I was hooked. I was like, if I could make a living from this, that would be incredible. So I ended up, I quit the actuarial stuff. I, uh, after a year and a half, I quit the entertainment business because I'm really not that good. I just, to be honest, I, I really can't sing. I'm a good entertainer, but I'm really, I'm really not a good singer. So I quit that and I put everything into building a coaching practice and uh, ended up being number one worldwide on Google for life coaching. Um, and well, the rest is history. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so you mentioned that uh, you didn't properly grieve your sister. So uh, you have two questions that uh, that come from that. Uh, I think that, that that's you know not just you know sisters, but any kind of loss. Uh, and it's funny because I know myself well enough to know that I'm very quick to figure out how to numb whatever emotional pain I'm feeling at any moment, even if it's something minor. Um, and that I wonder, you know, you know, why is that? Why do people have that tendency? And, uh, how did your losing your sister change your relationship with your parents? Mm. Well, I can't, I can't answer that from a therapy background cause I don't have one, but as a, uh, as a human, I would say, I think that, that the numbing is a, is a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. And I think it was appropriate that I learned how to shut down when I was a kid. I didn't know how to handle the feelings. It may not have been safe for me to handle the feelings. So my parents wouldn't have known what to do with it. They, they couldn't handle their own. They shut down. And what was the second part of the question? Um, how did, uh, I guess, uh, you know, why do people do that? Uh, and you know, I guess, I guess you kind of answered the question about how did it change the relationship with your parents? Oh, how did it change the relationship? Well, you know, I, I think my experience of growing up was just wanting my parents to be there. My, my dad would go to the club and he'd drink, uh, drink a few beers and come home and my mother would read a lot. I remember I'd want to tell her about my day and she just would not want to be interrupted. I can really relate to that now because I get focused on things like work or a book or whatever, and I do not want anyone to stop me. I kind of want to escape into these things. So I, I found it tough, I think, growing up. I, I, I think I felt very lonely. And since the age of 23, when I started going to therapy and finding out about that I didn't grieve, we, we opened up the grieving process afresh so i i was given movies to watch and maybe some books to read and some assignments like i went back to my parents and i'd say can i see can i see Catherine's things do you have anything of hers can i can i see them and mama never shown me and i'm 23 now and she went back and she we went through the things together which was beautiful i asked her what it was like for her and now it's two adults she's sharing with me how she would pace the, I feel sad just thinking about it again. It really, this really gets me. She would pace the corridors on her own, just not knowing how to cope because dad was at the club drinking and she, she fell on her own. And so she'd share that experience and I get to be with her with that. And then my dad, we'd talk about what was it like for you? And it was the hardest thing he's ever faced in his life. Only time I ever saw him cry. I was on the phone talking to someone and I'm 
I'm getting emotional now because I really, I really feel for my parents. I kind of, I know I was only seven, but I wish I could have been there for them then. And I can't do that, but I can be there for them now. And it really has this, this reclaiming or re, re-grieving, reopening those things has, I think, brought us much closer. I've even had a little funeral service for my sister. Uh, I think this was at the age of 35 because I, I never got to go to the funeral. You didn't take kids back then. I said, can we have a, like a ceremony and we'll go around the table and just talk about things we remember about her? So I think it's really altered my relationship with my parents now. Plus, all the all this work I've done on my own personal growth has totally changed my family. Mm-hmm. Because I can go into like with, if you start doing this work on yourself, it ripples out. And I can go into the family and, and say, go back and visit and say, hey, you guys are really sniping at each other, and I feel really uncomfortable about it. I don't think we have to keep doing that. You know, how about we, how about we stop, stop the sniping? And you know what? They didn't stop it. But what would happen um, is, is they'd be in the car and there'd be an argument and Dad would say something. He'd get to a snipe at Mum and Mum would turn to me and, and grin and say, oh, that was a good snipe. <laughs> and so now we're laughing about it. I really think that transformed my family. We now say I love you. They never said it. I, I started it out of out of all this work that I was doing. So I think the point of this is I, I, I want to I want to enroll people listening. Like any work you do for yourself, any work you do about reclaiming your emotions or reclaiming more of your integrity is going to ripple out onto everybody that you interact with, and I think that's very exciting. So, uh, two final questions for you. You've made money. You've built this thriving business. You've had, you know, romantic partners. Um, it sounds to me like you've gotten a great deal of uh, what you want, uh, you know, from your life. And what I wonder is, how do you measure your life now, yeah. having done all of that? Yeah. Thank you. What a great question. Um, you're right. I've done a lot in life. I, I've, I've touched the sky. I've flown solo in a paraglider over the Himalayas. I've been a snowboard instructor, a, a stand-up comedian, an actor. I mean, I've done so much. How I measure my life now, I scan my life to see how am I doing. One is how well am I taking care of my body? And right now I'm having so many, like, Fresh fruits and vegetables is almost all I eat right now, and um, and I'm I'm exercise. I mean, I've been traveling, so my exercise hasn't been as as good. But I plan to get back to five days a week of some kind of physical activity. So I scan that, and then I scan business. How am I doing? A in terms of money because that's, that's, that's important for survival and freedom and the ability to give back. That's really important. So I scan that and go, all right, that's, that's doing well, and that can, do, that can be a lot better. So let's put a little attention on that. But also, am I making a difference? That's one way I measure it. And I look, yesterday, I said out loud to myself in the house, and I'm, I'm staying somewhere alone right now. I said, all right, what did you do today? 
And I said out loud to myself, you made a difference for four people a day. You did four coaching sessions and, and really had an impact on those people. So making a difference. And then the other way I measure it is what's the level of my connection with my, my friends and family and who are, who are my friends? Because you can measure your progress by looking at who you hang out with. And I look around at my, my friends, uh, you know, like Yannick, and I just go, wow, I must be doing really, really well because I think my friends are amazing and I feel privileged to mm. be their friend. Amazing. So I have uh, one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews with the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is, living somebody or something unmistakable? Would you define unmistakable? So I will define it for you how I define it. Yeah. Um, my definition of it is doing something so distinctive that nobody else could have done it but you. It's immediately recognized oh, as your work. Oh, right. Unmistakable. Okay. Unmistakable. Okay, great. And and one more time, the, the actual question. What makes someone what do, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Wow. Well, I, this might be controversial here, but you know, let me start with a controversial piece. I don't, um, I'm not sure that should be someone's uh, highest priority, firstly. Mm. I, what I want is that you be you. You do what matters to you and what lights you up. That's what I want for you. Now, inside of that, yeah, let's look at how can you be unmistakable so that you can stand out? I think that makes a lot of sense. And I don't have a formula that's going to fit for everyone for how you can stand out and be unmistakable. I would simply say if you are doing what you love and you passionately share that with the world and unapologetically, I think there's a chance that that may also be unmistakable they're going to resonate with you and your energy when you get up to speak they're going to feel your energy when you when you share with your partner hey this is my truth they're going to feel your energy so i would say you're playing for real follow your truth and take actions aligned with what really matters to you and your chances of being unmistakable are higher Amazing. Well, I think that makes a really uh, fitting end to what has been a very thought-provoking and poetic conversation. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything that you're up to? Well, thank you for asking. You know, really simple thing you can do is take a one-minute reality check. It's a simple quiz. You can score yourself on your, on your life right now uh, at playforreal.life. That's life with an F for freedom. Uh, and then if you see a gap between where, where you are and where you want to be, then I would love you to request a session with me. I don't charge for these sessions um, because it's how I find the right people to work with long term. But request a session if you feel called to. And I, I can't say yes to everybody, but I can say yes to a lot of people. And I'm happy to create a plan with you. And if you want to implement it on your own, then just let me know how it goes. And if you want support implementing the plan, we can talk about coaching. So that would be my offer, playforreal.life. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.